Ukrainian-American singer Alexei Kerekesha with his group Fata Morgana and the story of the legendary Cossack hetman Hamalia. Vitaya vas vsih dorihi radio suhachi na radio programu Nash Holos, radio Krinskoho Kurinia, nakveli CHLY, stoadeni CMFM, umisti nanaimo, primakrifoni pavina. Dobri den and welcome to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio, coming to you on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. I'm Pavlina, sitting in for Oksana. On today's program, we'll have Kanishka Corner with Myra Janik, who reviews Vancouver author Roxanne Davies' recently released memoir, The Blue Riviera, A Daughter's Investigation. And we'll also have an interview with the author herself. Olena Skorhod will join us for that, as well as for news about an upcoming event next week in the Vancouver area. And of course, our usual proverb of the week, other items of interest, and great Ukrainian music. And coming up next, Tarasova Nietzsche, which translates as Night of Taras, and referring presumably to Taras Shevchenko. At any rate, this next song is the words of Ukraine's bard, Taras Shevchenko put to music, as was our opening song. And there will be a few more yet in the show in tribute to Ukraine's national bard, since this is the month that we do that. And so coming up next, Tarasovanich with Jest na Sviti Dolia, and that is a poem by Tarasovchenko, something to the effect of there is fate in the world and the true meaning of happiness, which is not material possessions. Есть на світі доля, хто її знає. Есть на світі воля, хто її має. Есть люди на світі сріблом златом сяють, здається, панують, а долі не знають.
Кричит соло из-под деброва зиронки Сияют по над шляхом шерется юхо вражки Гуляют, спочивают добрые люди Еще кофту мило, кого счастья, кого Росанечка покрыла Стала слава на все село про тую вдову. Не так слава, не так слава, як той поговір, що заїздив козак січі до вдови у двір. Що заїздив козак січі до вдови у двір. Вечеряли у світлиці медвинопили, І у хаті на кроваті спочити лягли. І у хаті на кроваті спочити лягли. Не минула тая слава, не марно пройшла, Удовиця у м'ясниці сина привела. Удовиця у м'ясниці сина привела, Вигодувала мало, в школу дала, А із школи його взявши коня купила, А із школи його взявши коня купила. Сиделечко шовком шила, жупан дорогий, на коника посадила, гляньте ворові, на коника посадила, гляньте ворові, взяла коня за поводи, село провела, та й привела до обозу, січо дала, та й привела до обозу, усічо дала. That was Sashko, Ukrainian singer and storyteller Sashko, with Oikrik Nule Siri Huse, Oh the Grey Geese Were Crying. Up next, a commentary called Taras Shevchenko, Poet of Ukraine. When Ukrainian troops liberated the town of Borodyanka from Russian occupation in early April 2022, they discovered the damage done to its Taras Shevchenko monument. Bullets had hit the great poet's forehead. The pillar, 
holding him up, had been damaged by shells. The symbolism of the Russian attack on the monument was obvious. Taras Shevchenko is not just the founder of the modern Ukrainian literary language, but he's also the most important symbol of modern Ukrainian nationhood. Born a serf in March 1814 on an estate just over 100 miles from Kiev, Shevchenko demonstrated an early aptitude for art. When his owner moved to St. Petersburg in 1831, he took Taras with him. Shevchenko started to paint and write, and recognizing his talents, a handful of prominent Russian and Ukrainian artists purchased his freedom. Liberated from bondage, Shevchenko turned to poetry. In 1840, he published his first collection, Kobzar, named after the bards who sang tales on their stringed instrument, the Kobza. Shevchenko's poems imagined Ukraine as a distinct nation with a people, culture, and history separate from Russia. Inspired by his reading of romantic histories, Shevchenko's Kobzar appropriated the history of the Cossacks for Ukraine. The freedom they embodied became a potent inspiration for Ukrainian readers. For example, his 1838 poem, Night of Taras, about a 1630 peasant revolt, included these lines. Ukraine, oh my dear Ukraine, trampled by the Polacks, my dearest, when I think of you, my homeland, my heart can only cry. Whither all the Cossacks, whither their red coats, whither our good fortune, and whither blessed freedom. Shevchenko would also contrast Ukrainians with Russians. Katerina, one of his most beloved poems, tells the tragic tale of a Ukrainian village girl seduced and then betrayed by a Russian soldier. It warns from the first lines, Fall in love, you dark-browed girls, but not with Muscovites, for Muscovites are strangers. They will do you wrong. Kobzar brought Shevchenko acclaim. It also led to trouble. Traveling back to the Ukrainian lands, he lamented the lack of freedom among members of his family and members of his nation. He painted Ukrainian national landscapes and historical sites in an album he titled Picturesque Ukraine. And he also befriended members of a secret society devoted to the right of Slavic peoples, including Ukrainians, to be independent. Arrested in 1847, Tsar Nicholas I exiled the poet to an army post on the steppe frontier. The Tsar also forbade Shevchenko from writing or painting. Freed from his imprisonment only in 1857, Shevchenko remained exiled from his beloved Ukraine. He never returned. He died in St. Petersburg one week before Tsar Alexander II announced the emancipation of the serfs in 1861. In the 1845 poem Testament, Shevchenko asked, When I die, bury me in my own beloved Ukraine. The poem also spoke to the mixing of his personal and political aims. O bury me, then rise ye up and break your heavy chains, and water with the tyrant's blood the freedom you have gained. Shevchenko's words, written in the Ukrainian language, remained a threat to the Tsarist government. In 1863, the interior minister prohibited most forms of publication in the language, which Russian authorities termed, quote, Little Russian. Thirteen years later, Tsar Alexander II extended this ban to include all publications in Ukrainian. Yet, Shevchenko's significance lived on. 
1894 biography published in Russian acknowledged that his muse was Ukraine because there he could soak up, quote, his native atmosphere, his native natural landscape, his native people. His poems continued to circulate and crossed imperial borders to inspire Ukrainians living in the Habsburg lands. After the revolutions and civil war that briefly led to the first ever independent Ukraine, the Soviet state tried to co-opt the idea and legacy of Shevchenko. Because of his background, Shevchenko could be rebranded as a revolutionary who had fought oppression for his people and for others. The bard of the Ukrainian people, as one 1939 newspaper article declared, was, quote, a great patriot and poet of the friendship of peoples. Statues of Shevchenko were built in the Soviet era, including the well-known one in the center of Kiev and the one in nearby Borodyanka. Soviet authorities heralded Shevchenko as, quote, the great son of Ukraine, as an article from 1984 declared him. But he also remained a potent symbol for an independent Ukraine, his poems a reminder of its essential characteristics. When Ukraine gained independence in 1991, Shevchenko served as its spiritual founding father. Back in Borodyanka this past April, Yaroslav Halubchik, an artist from nearby Kiev, saw the damaged statue and immediately launched an art project. He called it The Healing of Shevchenko. Halubchik wrapped a bandage around the poet's wounds. Former Ukrainian minister of culture turned soldier, Yevhenishchuk, happened to witness the bandaging and proclaimed, quote, This is really important because we all know that Shevchenko and other Ukrainian poets were always enemies of Russia. I really hope that people will rebuild everything here as it was, but we should keep this as it is now. Taras Shevchenko, Poet of Ukraine, was written by Stephen M. Norris and narrated by Dr. Nicholas B. Brayfogel. This commentary is the audio track of a YouTube video. It was a September 2022 production of Origins Current Events in Historical Perspective at the Goldberg Center in the Department of History at the Ohio State University and the Department of History at Miami University. A text version of this video is available at their website, and there will be a link in the show notes of the podcast of this episode, which you can find at www.nasholos.com. Welcome to Knizhka Corner, book reviews by Myra Junik, Ukrainian stories in English. In this edition of Knizhka Corner, we will be discussing The Blue Riviera, A Daughter's Investigation by Roxanne Kurpita Davies. The Blue Riviera chronicles a daughter's journey to find the truth about the death of her mother. Sally Tomyuk Kurpita was killed in a tragic car accident at the age of 32 on May the 3rd, 1960. Roxanne Kurpita Davies was eight years old when her mother died, and her mysterious death led the writer to write this memoir. Most importantly, I wanted to know what happened to her on the night she died. Sally Tomyuk Kurpita lived a difficult and complicated life. Born in the village of Starikuti in western Ukraine, her family emigrated to Canada in 1938. While on the ship, 
Sally contracted spinal meningitis, which would eventually lead to the loss of one of her eyes. Her family settled in Montreal. They participated in the Ukrainian community, attending Ukrainian Catholic Church, and celebrating important events with friends and family. Sally was a devout Ukrainian Catholic, but she had an interest in the paranormal and visited psychics and card readers. She married and had one child named Roxolana. Her daughter would eventually anglicize her name to Roxanne. Sally and her husband purchased the Dorchester Hotel in a rundown area of Montreal and soon started having money problems. In May 1960, Sally asked her sister, Anna, to lend her $30,000. The next night, Sally died on her way home from the hotel. The last picture of her shows an ashtray with a burning cigarette. Was someone with her? Was she being threatened? Was that person part of the story behind her death? Roxanne was eight years old when her mother died. She was raised by her Aunt Anna, who was confined to a wheelchair for much of her life, but managed to run a business for decades. Roxanne became a successful writer and journalist, but was haunted by her mother's story. Like a stone dropped in a still pond, her death created ripples in my life that continue to move me to this day. During the COVID-19 pandemic, she decided to write about her search for the truth about her mother's death. The Blue Riviera was the culmination of 60 years of longing to know the truth. Roxanne's exploration is just as much about her own life as it is about her mother's death. Her search for meaning leads her to depression and anxiety. Roxanne goes to therapy, but also visits psychics, fortune tellers, and clairvoyants. She has a contentious relationship with her father, whom she blames for her mother's death, without any proof. She discovers that her father has another family in Ukraine, which he left behind. As a result of these conflicts, they are estranged for years. She tries to connect with her Ukrainian roots and studies Ukrainian history, visits Ukraine, and reconnects with her Ukrainian family. Yet my mother's spirit haunts me still, and the history of Ukraine has caught up with me. It has me in its thrall. This autobiographical work will create strong connections for Ukrainian-Canadian readers whose parents came to Canada in the 20th century. Those who have lost parents will be able to relate to Roxanne's desire to know more about her mother's life and legacy. There are marvelous stories about discussing Quebec politics, celebrating family events, attending Ridna Shkola on Saturday mornings, learning to appreciate Ukrainian heritage, and suffering along with the population of Ukraine after the Russian invasion in 2022. She speaks for all Ukrainians when she says, Putin seeks to destroy Ukraine. This is not war. This is genocide. Kurpita Davies is a skilled reporter, and this is obvious in her description of her mother's life and Ukrainian history. The Holodomor was a historic tragedy with no happy ending. It is the story of personal dignity in the face of horror and humiliation. However, the lengthy passages about her own emotional journey 
could have been shortened in order to make the narrative flow more smoothly. The book could have profited from more rigorous editing. There are useful endnotes which could provide sources for those readers who want to do research on their Ukrainian-Canadian cultural roots. Roxanne Kurpita Davies graduated with a BA from Concordia. In 1990, she moved to British Columbia, where she has worked as a newspaper reporter, art gallery manager, health researcher, adult education program manager, and a marketing consultant. She has published several nonfiction books, Orchards, Crossroads, and Dreams, Olga, The OK Way to a Healthy, Happy Life, and co-authored Inside View, The Eye Behind the Lens. She currently lives in North Vancouver, British Columbia, where she works as a writer, researcher, and writing instructor. The Blue Riviera is available at Op Media Group Bookstore. Thanks, Myra. Join us again soon for another edition of Kanishka Corner, book reviews by Myra Junik, here on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Up next, more of Tarashevchenko's words to music. This song is Tichavoda Zpid Yarova, Water Flows from Under the Sycamore Tree. Yeah, I'm
слухаєте наш голос Радіо Українського коріння, котре подається вам на хвилі CHLY 101.7 FM у місті Нанайму. You're listening to наш голос Ukrainian Roots Radio on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. Садок вишневий колохати, хороші над вишнями удуть. Плуга та ріс плугами йдуть, співаючи йдуть дівчата, а матері вечерять ждуть. Сім'я вечеря коло хати, вечірня зіронька встає, дочка вечерять подає. Ти хоче навчати, та соловейко не дає. Поклала мати коло хати, маленький діточок своїх, сама заснула коло них, затихло все. Тільки дівчата та соловейко не And more of Tarashevchenko's words put to music that was performed by a group from Ivano-Frankivsk in western, western Ukraine called Quintet Alleluia, and the song was called Sadok Vishnevi Kolokhate, a cherry orchard near the house. Not so long ago, I met with the writer Roxanne Davis, and we discussed her book, The Blue Riviera Investigates Her Mother's Early and Sudden Death. Dreams and prayers could not prevent what destiny prepared, yet her mother's death left many questions. In the search for truth, Roxanne tells us more about her childhood, her family, and the lives of Ukrainian immigrants in Montreal. Her hard-working family became successful Canadians. They had a house, a doctor in the family, owned properties and ran businesses. There was also a beautiful ghost. The story of her family, their customs, and the memories of Ukraine intertwined with the present make this book a unique read of a mysterious and honest memoir. Roxanne, why did you write the Blue Riviera? Well, I wrote the Blue Riviera because it coincided with the 60th anniversary of my mother's tragic death. And it was a death that was never really explained to me. It was almost like she became a beautiful ghost. And uh, because I was an only child and my father, after my mother died, he sort of drifted out of my life because I remained with my mother's family. And so 60 years later... I had eye surgery, and uh, I, I went from being almost blind to seeing 20-20 vision. It was a miracle. But the thing is that having this uh, increased eyesight, I saw things that I never saw before. Now, my mother was a businesswoman. She was part owner of a hotel in Montreal. And one of the last pictures that was taken of her, she's sitting at her desk in her hotel. This was taken a week before she died. And I never noticed, I mean, with my new eyes, 
I noticed my mother was a smoker, and so she's got a cigarette in her hands, but in uh, on her desk there's an ashtray, and in the ashtray is a cigarette, but it's pointed away from my mother. So that cigarette, I thought, well, who does it belong to? Papirasa, cigarette, right? Like, so I looked at the cigarette and I thought, is this person perhaps connected to my mother's death? Was he or she one of the last people to see her alive? So it kind of put me on a quest to to really find out once and for all what happened to my mother. I, I had to have some, the word is very, very, very overused, but closure, you know. And uh, so this book really did give me closure. And uh, like I said to someone, I, I brought my mother back to uh, life and I laid her soul to rest with this book. It took two years to investigate and write this book. How did your emotions and um, reconciliation process with your past and with your mom's past and your present evolve? Well, emotions are an interesting thing because, uh, you know, uh, as I realized that if you don't allow an, an emotion, a feeling to begin, then you never let it end. And so feeling this real sadness, you know, about what happened to this beautiful woman, uh, I realized I never really cried because I continued living with her sister my aunt and the extended family. I mean, imagine, Olana. I mean, I grew up in a house with eight, sometimes 10 adults. I was the only child. Was I spoiled? <laughs> Boy, was I spoiled. But the thing is that no one really um, talked about her. And so I never, I, everyone was so sad when she died that I didn't want to make them even sadder by expressing my own emotions. And so writing this book, um, my husband will attest to the fact that I, I kind of turned into a raving lunatic about halfway through, but he survived, I survived, and I really, really, really cried. Page 269, that is page 269. There's something that happens on page 269 that really, really touched me, and, you know, it's almost like a dam broke. Did you find the answers to your questions? Yes, I did. It will challenge people who are rational scientific, uh, you know, left brain kind of folks that, you know, um, what I used to actually discover what happened to my mother on the night she died, because she got into her car, she left her hotel at two o'clock in the morning and she never arrived home. She got killed at the end of her street, a, a, a train hit her, train hit her car. Uh, you know, what was she doing at that time of night, you know, two o'clock in the morning. So anyway, the answer to my question is extraordinary. I mean, somebody said, oh my God, it's like falling down a rabbit hole. But it is, it's a mystery, it's a memoir, it's a story of Ukraine. I, I, uh, I started writing the book during COVID, and I finished the book about a month or two after Russia invaded Ukraine. So what I knew was always going to be a very challenging project was even more challenging because of the emotions in the world, right? You mentioned in your book something about status of successful Canadians or the ranks of successful Canadians. And it looks like your aunt Anna reached that status. Would you say it came with some degree of loss of identity? My, my aunt was a force of nature, her, her, my mother's sister. She had incredible energy and vision and her philosophy in life was, well, let's try this. If it doesn't work out, we'll try something else. And 
with that kind of attitude, she really had a Midas touch. Everything she tried worked out really, really, really well. And um, I know that there are some people who resent, some people resent people who are more successful than them. It's through every culture, through every nationality, and uh, it's almost like they, they, they seem to think that these people make their own reality less. But I think that we all work to the level of our capability and my aunt was not afraid to be not just a hospodenia, but a, a, a boss. You know, she wasn't afraid. I mean, she owned a commercial laundry and she would bring, like right now, if she had her laundry, she would be putting new immigrants to work. I mean, in a place where you don't need perfect English, but you need a place to land, you know. And that requires courage because sometimes when you help people, they resent you for helping them. And working in a commercial laundry is not backbreaking work, but it's, I can still remember as a child walking through the laundry and the smell of the starch and the hiss of the irons and, you know, these gigantic rollers that you would, they would put because they did laundry for hotels and restaurants. Uh, it's hard work. Yeah, no, I think that this book, it was an opportunity to discover what happened to my mother on the night she died, but also an opportunity to thank my aunt for all all she did to help me and other people in our family. Did you or any members of your family ever experience the discrimination being Ukrainian? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Because in my other book that I, my, my aunt, uh, Anna Kowalski, she left me a 900-page handwritten diary, which I transcribed into a book called Orchards, Crossroads, and Dreams, a Ukrainian memoir. And she describes what it was like to buy their first house. She bought it with a jar of silver dollars. The whole house uh, cost $13,000 back then, 1959, I guess it was. So when they went to see the house, there was this, and this was in Quebec. My aunt said that he just looked at them like, what are you immigrants doing? How are you allowed to buy this house? And she bought the house because she had the money, you know. And it became really for her, that house was really a symbol of having made it in Canada. They owned a house. In your book, you described a controversial, in a way, combination of Christianity and superstitions, almost pagan beliefs, handwriting. Like, how did it all work together? Well, it's interesting because... You know, as we were talking about uh, religion and, and schooling, and I mean, I was educated from elementary school until university, until Loyola, with religious orders. Nuns, Christian brothers, Catholic Loyola, there was Jesuit priests. And I always had a very, very positive experience. I know some people have had horrible experiences with religious, um, you know, people of the cloth and that. I was very lucky, and I always liked my teachers. But I grew up with my aunt and my mother, who believed in card reading, fortune telling. You know, so I think that the fact that my family came from Western Ukraine near Romania, gypsies. You know, I think some of this is in deep. This is deep DNA stuff, and I think we all want to know the future. What is going to happen? You know how. And sometimes it's, um, I don't know, 
you know, they say sometimes the worst thing that can happen is that your wishes are answered, you know. Sometimes it's better not to know. And this is why I think that religion, especially now, is, I find it, I go to church every Sunday. I go to church every Sunday. I want to go somewhere where it's like pushing, pushing the, not the delete button, but like the refresh button on my computer. You know, it's like I'm ready to start on Monday again without worrying, with, you know, feeling that we give our our problems over to God. For me, it works. I, I want to believe that, you know, we're given an opportunity to manifest our lives in a certain way. And sometimes when you just say, I can't do it alone, all of a sudden this amazing energy comes in. It's like lifting a bird up when it's flying. You know, there's some birds that, I don't know, sleep when they're flying. I mean, I think sometimes people are asleep in this world, and yet we don't fall down. You know, something is holding on to us, right? But do you apply the uh, Ukrainian superstitions, like not uh, passing something, um, standing at the door, etc.? You had a really great list of those. I follow all of them. Yeah, no, the one thing that I really do follow, uh, and I talk about it a, a, quite a bit, is dreams. I think that my grandmother, Baba, Ella, Yelena, She had a sonnek on the kitchen table, and every morning she would be looking at it to see what her dreams were like. And I realized now her her reality was so sad. And there are so many women that come to Canada from other countries, whether it's Greece or Italy or India or Ukraine. They come, and the children do well, but the, the, the mothers, they're stuck in the kitchen cooking. They never learn enough English to really get ahead. And my grandmother was like that. I mean, she was the most loving person in the world. And I, I realized that her dream world was very colorful. And uh, in order to kind of like compensate for the fact that her reality was so sad, but I've had dreams that have warned me. I have dreams that have made me laugh. The dreams are very, they're like messages from somewhere. I don't know. But I think that, you know, we, we ignore them at our peril because sometimes you can get a dream that will warn you and you won't even realize how important it is for you to pay attention to that dream. In one of the chapters, you mentioned that Ukraine has many sad secrets. Do you think that maybe if you were able to come to Starikuti, that would make you understand those secrets better? Oh, my dream, my dream. I have two dreams right now, you know, because this book was such an effort to to write, to create. So I have two dreams. One of them is to go to Ukraine to study Kutin. And uh, I just put my book forward for a, a book award. And uh, it, it's a substantial prize. And if I win, God willing, I'm taking that money. I'm taking my family to Ukraine. Even if I don't win that money, I will take a loan. And I'm taking my family. I'm going to take my husband and my children and my grandson to see where we came from, you know, because it's such a heartfelt, beautiful place, like my aunt called it paradise, and it was a paradise. But they came for, I guess, a better opportunity. Why does anybody leave? You know, why does anybody immigrant? They think they're going to have a better opportunity. But I think that going back to Ukraine would be, that's one dream. And the second dream is to translate my book into Ukrainian. So if anybody would like to join me on that project, I would be very happy to do that because I think that it would be really uh, very reassuring for people because my book does delve with the mystery of what happens to us after we die. And 
you know, I mean, it's, again, this is one of these things that's going to challenge the rational brain, but I feel, and of course, religion believes that there's like limbo, there's purgatory, there's heaven, there's hell. There is a there there. After we leave, there is a there there. And maybe we created ourselves, but I do believe that we make our heaven and we make our hell. And um, we make our heaven by being kind-hearted, loving people towards others. And hell is when you're all by yourself, lonely, alone, miserable, you know. And uh, this is why, I mean, this is kind of like a tangent, but we must not forget Ukraine and what it's going through right now because they're going through a hell. If Ukraine um, was like, and her history was a big palm, what would you predict? Boy, that's a big question because my my heart says Ukraine is showing the world what it is like to fight like lions. People who never even could identify Ukraine on the world map now know where Ukraine is. They know that Russia is a bully. They know that the Ukrainian Jewish conundrum has been healed. I mean, Zelensky is a Jewish man and he is loved and there's so much hope put on him by everybody. It doesn't matter about the religion. So whatever happens, I don't think Ukraine will ever be the same. And if I had a magic wand, I would bring it into NATO tomorrow and I would give them the proper weapons because this fight will not end until Russia is put in its place. Ukraine has to show the world that it either stops with us and if it doesn't, then the rest of Europe, especially the Baltic countries, and that they are all vulnerable. So what do you want to do? Pay now a little or pay later a bigger price? So if I had a if I had a magic wand, I would invite Ukraine into the family of countries, freedom loving countries in the West, and hurt Russia until finally he backs down. So what would what would you think prevent such attacks in the future like this this history has been repeating i think because ukrainians are good-hearted spiritual people who have put so much faith into religion and like a, a pastoral land and all this i think it's time to toughen up you know it's like with the jews in israel the holocaust happened but you will never do that to us again and i think that ukrainians have to adopt that same kind of attitude. I would like to ask you to read out one of your favorite parts during the book, if you don't mind. This is uh, the night that she died. And um, my mother, my Baba, Baba was rocking and crying in the corner of the dark room under the gold frame paint mirror where my mother used to probe her future. Did Baba ever wonder what would have happened, or better still not happened, if she and her beloved daughter Sally had never made their faithful journey from Ukraine to the Promised Land. Sixty years after my mother's untimely death, I find myself obsessively thinking about Sally, a mother I never really knew. Who was she? What was she like? What brought her joy? What did she regret? What did she most fear in life? So, Elena, as I said to you, I really did bring my mother back to life in this book, and then I put her, her soul back to to rest and putting her soul back to rest, I have put my own soul back to rest. Duše <laughs> děkuji.
You can find more information about the book or purchase paper and digital copies at www.thebluereviera.com. All proceeds go to a charity supporting Ukrainians in BC and an orphanage in Ukraine. That was Olena Skorkhod in conversation with Vancouver author Roxanne Davies about her recently released book, The Blue Riviera, A Daughter's Investigation. Trio Maximovich with Oinecho de Hretsu and Yes, My Darling Daughter, and the melody of that old Ukrainian folk song uh, warning Greg not to go out into the woods or he'll get poisoned. The melody was put to much different words, Yes, My Darling Daughter, and it was made famous, quite famous back in the 1940s by popular singer Dinah Shore. <laughs> Це наші поли, від Галіфакс до Другого моря. Це наша земля, це наші поли. Це є наш новий край. Як я приїхав до цього краю, і відділ горе, після і морі. Тут була пуща і файне поле. Це є наш новий край. This land is your land, this land is my land From Bona Vista to Vancouver Island From the Arctic Circle to the Great Lake Waters This land is made you and me The Nasha Zemlya, the Nasha Poli Vilhani Fasto, Druho Moria The Nasha Zemlya Це наші поли, 
And the legendary Mickey and Bunny from Winnipeg and back in the 1960s and 70s, a very popular group back then, and that song was the Ukrainianized version, Ukrainian-Canadian version of an American folk song. Of course, This Land is Your Land. That was Sinasha Zamnia, and that's going out to Roxanne Davies and all the other born-again Ukrainians who are tuning in to Nash Holos. Нагадую, ви слухаєте радіопрограму «Наш голос» радіо українського Коріння на хвилі CHLY 101.7 FM у місті Ненаймо. Не жаль, ми вже скінчили нашу програму і вже часто додому і сказати до побачення. Але перед тим я хочу залишити вас такими словами мудрості. Як знаєш, чого ти не знаєш, то важий початок науки маєш. And our proverb of the week translates as «To know what you don't know is the beginning of knowledge». And that brings us to the end of another edition of Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. In between broadcasts, please stay in touch with us via our Facebook page. For transcripts, audio archives, and a link to our podcast, visit www.nashholos.com. You can also find a link to our Patreon site there if you'd like to support our work. And of course, you can always find Nash Holos on your favorite podcast app. I'm Pavlina. On behalf of Oksana, myself, and all of us here at CHLY, thanks for listening. Dosusrichi.
Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.